chapter 16. It's good to sing with you the songs of Zion, the Lord's people. And as you'll see, I trust that is our theme as we come to these closing words, this closing chapter at least of the book of Romans. I want to read the bulk of chapter 16. We're going to omit a section uh, in the latter part of the book and come to that, Lord willing, next Lord's Day. But in chapter 16, the opening part of the book or the chapter, half of it at least, is taken up with greetings, greetings to uh, some that are in Rome, and then the part we'll read subsequent to the portion we skip today is greetings from uh, others. As Paul writing at this point from Corinth and brings greetings from there and the other churches. But let's read together the Lord's Word, Romans 16, beginning in verse 1. I commended to you Phoebe, our sister, friend of the church which is at Sincrea, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you. For she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Apennius, who is the first, first fruits of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note, who also were in Christ before me. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Salute Herodian, my kinsmen. Greet them which be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Salute Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. Salute Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Salute Philogus and Julia. Nerus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints which are with them salute one another with an holy kiss. The churches of Christ salute you. Now skipping down to verse 21. Timotheus, my fellow worker, and Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen, salute you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. And Quartus, a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Well, amen. We'll end our reading there. And again, trust the Lord to add his to the public reading. Inspired word. Let's do pause and again seek to unite our hearts together and ask the Lord's help in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come today with grateful hearts to read 
even this catalog of names among your people. Sinners, deserving of your wrath, as are we. And yet these that we have not met in the flesh, centuries of time separate us, but nothing separates us in the purpose of an eternal God. And we will have an eternity with them in your presence as we are believers in Jesus. We ask in the name of this one in whom we believe that you will help us today. Give us grace even in what is just a catalog of names and messages. But Lord, have food for our souls, we ask. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's obvious from our reading this morning that we are coming to the very closing words of the book of Romans. Interestingly, in my reading, I discovered that some have criticized others for not giving enough attention to this portion of the book. One modern commentator cites quite an ancient commentator, Chrysostom, who had this to say about those that handle this portion of the book. Many, even of those, he said, who have the appearance of being extremely good men, hasten over this part of the epistle as being superfluous. Yet the gold founders people are careful even about the little fragments. It is possible even from bare names to find great treasure. We would say an amen to that assessment of, well, the Lord's choice to inspire and include this portion of the book of Romans in His. What we have here today and what we simply do is pass really one type of instruction to another. We pass, if you will, from the didactic, direct teaching, which obviously takes up the bulk of the book of Romans. It is such a careful thorough statement of the faith that we embrace so obviously. But I say we pass from the didactic to the exemplary. This last chapter of Romans, is, it's like an extension of the book of Acts. They're pieces of church history that are put on display before us here. And I trust we'll find that for us if we pause to thoughtfully consider these greetings that the Apostle includes in this epistle. There's much here we could say rightly, if we do meditate upon it correctly. There's much here that's precious. When we consider the lives of our brothers so long ago, and perhaps not a little here, that can be convicting also when we consider something own experience. What I'd like to do today is to collect our thoughts under a heading that we could draw from the first chapter of this epistle. In Paul's opening greetings, he speaks about his desire to be present with them in Rome, to finally meet them in person, and to be comforted together, he said, with them by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Well, I'd like to entitle our thoughts then today. Romans 16, mutual faith and comfort. Because that's what we have put on display for us 
in Paul's greetings to the people in the church, or as we'll see in a moment or two, the churches in Rome. And so thinking of mutual faith and comfort, I just want to have four terms that I put before you that we see put on display among these words of greeting in Romans 16. And the first term I would suggest to you is the word diversity. Diversity. Paul here, as we find and read these greetings, puts on display for us something if we tarry to dwell upon it that is remarkable when you consider the time in particular that these words were written. We live in a nation that prides itself on diversity. It has welcomed people of nations from throughout the world, people from different social classes, people from different races and ethnic origins, and we mingle together all the time. Trying to get into all the politics, people trying to stir things up or trying to cool things off, whatever that be. But in Paul's day, what is put on display here is far more remarkable, we might say, than the diversity that we can enjoy and do enjoy in our nation. This was a world that was equally, could we say, divided, such as our own, and even more so, an empire. Slavery rampant throughout the world, but here particularly in the middle of the world, a mingling of captured peoples from so many places and nations. And yet, what a diversity we find among the Christians in Rome. Paul lists 26 people in greetings. 24 of them are named. Two of them are unnamed. And when we just consider something of the names, the people that are put before us, I say it is remarkable. Nine of these 26 are women. So, fully at least a third of these that he puts before us in that category of people. That for us, again, might not seem overly remarkable, but in those days, the prominence that women find among the Lord's people would have been perhaps something unusual in their day. This is not the place to go into a full-orbed study of what is a bone of contention among the Christian church in our times in the post-feminism days of the 20th and 21st centuries. Suffice it to say, we can as solid complementarians, that is those that hold that there's a difference between men and women, it's a created difference, there are different roles that follow on and are assigned to us as men and as women. And we seek to fulfill those roles, our place within those roles, not only in our homes, but among the Lord's people. Differences of roles, complementary roles, does not imply in any way inferiority, one above or beneath the other. It's just simply a difference. Difference of role and function. We can see even those things displayed in the eternal triune God. Differences of role and function among the three persons of the Trinity. And there is no inequality there. There's no one person who is any less God than the other. 
There's no person in our experience who is any less of humankind, mankind, than the other. So that's a topic we just leave for there, but the role that we find of these several women that Paul describes for us here, and it's not uncommon in the rest of the New Testament. You read the book of Acts. Read the Gospels. Read the company of women that accompanied our Lord and His disciples and rendered such great service to the church. So it is with these. And that service wasn't limited to the menial. You think of Priscilla and Aquila and their further education of Apollos as he came through preaching and was not as informed in some of the details of Jesus who had come. And they opened unto him the way of the Lord more perfectly, more completely. You think of the role that we find in the New Testament Scriptures. Women teaching, the younger women, etc. Well, again, we are drifting further away from our text to that topic. But I said those parts of that topic and the diversities of role and function are clearly put on display here. Paul is aware of these people. Their place in the kingdom of God. And he's eager to recognize it and recognize them. We also see diversity on display with regard to the social status of these that are mentioned. Commentators and historians find some significant people in this list. Aristobulus that we read of in verse 10 is almost certainly, historians understand, the grandson, I'm tempted to, I don't know, use a modern phrase, wait for it, the grandson of Herod the Great. He was no friend to our Lord, we might remember. And yet, his grandson is a member of the church at Rome. Narcissus' household, at least, is mentioned in verse 11. It is not certain from this reference that he himself was a believer, but his household, those that were in his house, are. Narcissus was known to history, a rich and powerful freedman who had great influence on the emperor Claudius. So he was, we might say, with Aristobulus, a mean citizen, as it were, of his day. Other commentators, J.B. Lightfoot in his comments on Philippians chapter 4, where Paul, years later, the prisoner in Rome, writes from Rome to the Philippians, and he sends greetings from those that are of Caesar's household. And so it's quite clear that in this church at Rome, there were believers from the upper echelons of society. There were believers, there were those that had been saved and brought into the kingdom who had high place in the Roman Empire. And you bring that alongside a list of names that commentators and historians say. Ampliatus, Urbanus, Hermes, Philodius, Julia. All common names 
of slaves. Paul doesn't introduce a distinction. He doesn't say, greet these people and here's a bouquet of flowers from the florist for them and uh, yeah, say hi to this guy too. He with the same warmth of affection and brotherhood writes to all. We'll see in a few moments something of the gatherings of these people. But there were no distinctions in the gatherings. We don't find here any indication that would rebuke somebody attempting in another epistle someone of in and you usher them to a, a premier seat and someone of a lower status comes in you just stand over here. No, we find all of these brethren, these brothers and sisters of equal mention, of equal affection. You find in the greetings that section from verse 20, 22 and following or 21 and following he mentions here, if you look in verse 23, he says, Gaius, mine host, and of the whole church, saluteth you. Erastus, the chamberlain of the city, saluteth you. The chamberlain here suggesting the treasurer. The city official in Corinth. Prosperous city, a city of great trade. Also a city of great wickedness, we know. But the chamberlain of the city and Cordus, a brother. All we know from the New Testament history about Cordus is he was a brother. And he's named alongside of, of the city of Corinth. No distinctions. No hold one higher than the other. Here are two brethren that want me to greet you. The diversity among the people. Not ashamed to be associated with each other. We'll consider something in a few moments of how these people gathered. They gathered in homes. You think of perhaps obviously those of more means having larger homes that would be more convenient to use for the gatherings of the people you think of these wealthy believers, the social events that they were of in Rome, whether in other prominent people's large homes, or those prominent people coming to visit them in their large home for whatever purpose, social, business, governmental, whatever. You think of that rich neighbor Seeing every week a group of, who are these people? I mean, there's slaves, there's, there's the, the mechanic. They're going over to this nice house. These believing wealthy neighbors aren't ashamed to have their unbelieving wealthy neighbors see these other people quite happily welcomed into their home. The diversity among the people listed here is great. And obviously exemplary of the rest of the churches. These early believers 
were brothers and sisters. And of course, we've spoken of women and men relations. We speak of social status, race itself, which has been implicit underneath. This is a community of believers that has Jews and Gentiles. There's almost your own racial barrier. Well, if we can find racial divisions or distinctions rather in the church at Antioch, the original missionary church, how much more in Rome, the capital of the world, would there be racial diversity among the peoples? And so here, what we see on display in Rome, I say first that strikes us, is this great diversity. Think with me secondly today. We find also among these people, unity. Great unity. Four times in these greetings, Paul uses the phrase alongside of a name in Christ. Five times as he describes these that he loves, he speaks of them as being in the Lord. He uses familiar language all the way through. The sisters, the brothers. These weren't the literal biological relatives of the apostle, but as we see throughout the New Testament, the brethren. There's a bond that even exceeds that of true earthly genetic family. And then we find even in a deeper way than just that familial language. Verse 5, verse 8, verse 9, verse 2 in that original commendation. Beloved. Beloved. I don't think we should suggest that He only loves the ones, you know, the four out of this list come under that description, beloved, versus the 26. And more than we see the one chosen in the Lord would be the only one chosen. That would kind of contradict some of the theology that he had been at pains to point out earlier in the book. But it was true of all. And then he speaks to them, as he says in that close of the greetings, verse 16, salute one another with a holy kiss. That one always got a lot of attention when I was in Sunday school and high school. Young people just wondered whether to take that literally or not and talk to their youth pastors about such things in the youth group. Well, I'll leave that to the youth leaders here. Um, common greetings of affection. One commentator even spoke of a paraphrase that uh, used the more modern terminology of a good firm handshake. Well, again, we leave those things to some of our cultural sensitivities, but the implications are just patently obvious. This was a people that loved one another. They were in unity with one another. Paul speaks about the churches of Christ, verse 16, that salute them. Paul can bring greetings from all the other brethren because he has founded and traveled among the other churches. He knows, we read in chapter 1, that the faith of these Roman believers is spoken of. Not unmindful of them. They're part of each other. Even separated by the many miles and many nations of the empire. So I say we see not only diversity, 
among the Roman believers, we see unity. Those differences among them weren't a barrier at all to the unity that they enjoyed. But come and think with me thirdly today. I just would suggest here, again, we're struggling for terms to summarize the chapter. But I would just suggest to you a third term, and that is service. Service. I've hinted at this a couple times already, but it seems evident not only from this chapter in Romans, but other places in the New Testament, that the early believers met in homes, house churches. Paul went to the various cities. He went to the synagogues and preached from the Old Testament Scriptures there. But one by one, Paul would have been dismissed from the synagogues because the unbelieving Jews would not have them meeting there still at all, preaching this rejected Messiah, this false Messiah, they would say. And so the believers were left to gather in homes. Philemon, we speak of that meeting in each other's homes. And here we find it on display actually several times. If you look in verse 2, it says here, excuse me, uh, verse 5, and the closing uh, of the greeting that dealt with Priscilla and Aquila says, likewise, greet the church that is in their house. If you follow on, if you go down to verse 10, salute Apelles approved in Christ, salute them which are of Aristobulus' household. Down in verse 11, greet them that are of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. Verse 14, Hermes and the brethren which are with them. Verse 15, salute these brothers and all the saints which are with them. So we have a fivefold reference here to specific gatherings of the Roman Christians. There was no church at Rome where all of the believers in Rome came into the same building. They met in house churches. I remember the early days of our church where we were assembling in houses. There were some, there was another group in the city at the time that were of the persuasion that this that we see in the New Testament is not only the model of what they did, but it's the model for what we should always do. Church buildings and a congregation of the Lord's people there is taboo, it's wrong. Well, I don't think we find that prohibition in Scripture at all that a company of people can have property that is not the personal dwelling place of any one or one family of them, but it is a common building for them all. There are conveniences and helps that are certainly afforded, but it's not to the third century that we find in history reference to such common buildings among the Lord's people. So we find them meeting in homes. And I put this under this category of service because you ponder that. Whether it is a small gathering, a ladies' meeting, a men's breakfast, of course we do those in the common place here normally, but that's one thing. And those can be occasional gatherings. Maybe a monthly gathering and maybe it moves from this house to the other on occasion. But think about weekly, regular, 
multiple gatherings. That's a lot to do. I mean, there are going to be people here. We have to put our stuff away. We have to clean. Then we have to clean up after. Sorry, I'm about to do what I mentioned last Lord's Day evening. I have a child to me in the pulpit. We have a daughter frequently now with work-related issues. She comes and goes. There's no change in the house. Sometimes it's better when she leaves than when she got there. But a granddaughter here for 18 hours over the early part of this weekend, and we got cleaning to do tomorrow. I know she ate crackers at one point visit. I know she had part of it during the visit. The rest of the parts of that are in two different rooms, I know. Um, having people in creates work. Regular work. The households, five at least, among the believers in Rome, the service that they render to each other. Verse 4, and that extended grading to Priscilla and Aquila. Paul mentions there risking their lives for Him. They laid down their own necks. It's not known when this incident he references occurred. Priscilla and Aquila really are a remarkable study in the New Testament. It's a testimony to the cosmopolitan nature of the empire. travels among people. I mean, you think of the, just the pieces of their lives that we know of. They came from Pontus. They are found in Rome at some point doing their business. They're expelled from Rome when Claudius, the emperor, whose colleague and counselor is numbered among these people, expelled the Jews from Rome. Paul meets them in where they've come after they've fled from Rome. He, they journey with Paul from Corinth to Ephesus. They labor for many years there of help to the brethren. And now we find they're back in Rome again. Perhaps once whatever the persecution, the reason for that under Claudius was, and it was lifted after his death, then they're able to return. Well, these business people, at one point, and some suggest perhaps in the incident at Ephesus, risked their necks for Paul. We read some comments. Look at verse 6. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Go over to verse 12. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa. Many suggest perhaps twin sisters due to the names that are given here. Who labored in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. There's service that belongs to Christian experience. Service of all types. We seem to focus most often on public, public ministry. And ministry, remember, is the word for service. It's a word used of Phoebe here, who has rendered a service to the Romans. We don't know. I meant to mention her a little bit when we were talking about the prominence of so many women in Paul's greetings here. 
But here's a woman, obviously, or evidently, rather, a businesswoman of some nature, with this epistle to be the one that takes it to Rome. And whether it's business or some suggest through all the scholarly tweaking of how different words were used in the ancient world, she has need of the Romans. Some think that perhaps she came to Rome because she had a court date. Uh, maybe some lawsuit. Some environmentalist found some problem with whatever business she was doing and she had to go to court. But whatever it was, she rendered the service of being the courier for that letter, and Paul commends the brethren to help her. You think of the ancient world. You know, there wasn't Motel 6 or the JW Marriott or whatever on every corner, and help would be needed, and yet charlatans and those that would make use of people inappropriately, people needed letters of commendation to be received. But these that labored much. And I want you to look over to verse 22 and just read with me this phrase again. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. I have to pause and tell a story. When I was a freshman at Bible college, in the evenings after the evening meal, there was a about a half-hour gathering in the academic building called Missionary Prayer. And if you were among the spiritual people on campus, you went to Missionary Prayer Band after dinner. Um, you excused yourself if you had extra homework that night. Well, you know all the guilt things that come into such like that. But it was a nice ministry, and I don't even know who organized it, but it was all students. But they would just gather in the different rooms and pass letters from different missionaries around the world and have a season of prayer for these different mission works. But as is always the case in Bible colleges and people training for the ministry, somebody had to bring a challenge, bring a word before the prayer time. And I remember in one of those prayer times, my freshman year, an upperclassman that I had met before, had a little acquaintance with, but he just he was full of energy and said, guys, who wrote Romans? God, not Paul. No, he didn't. Well, all us underclassmen get our eyes really big. Is this guy a modernist? Has he abandoned the faith? Is he listening to the liberals? He's denying the Pauline authorship of Romans. And once he had our attention, he says, turn to Romans 16.22. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, salute you in the Lord. It was a powerful challenge. We know Paul wrote Romans. But Paul, obviously in Romans, and most probably in some other of his epistles, made use of an amanuensis, a secretary, to take down what he dictated. Sometimes we sense perhaps Paul as he notes something with his own hand at the end of the other letters, authenticating or emphasizing a point. Well, Tertius, the name you may have never heard, name you could easily forget, unless somebody very wisely at one point 
Just drew attention to it. Who wrote Romans? Paul. Well, yes, but there's a place in church history. A debt we owe ourselves to an otherwise unknown believer named Tertius in Corinth who helped by being Paul's secretary in writing these words and included a greeting to his brethren in Rome. Perhaps an insignificant thing in many people's eyes. But one of those cups of cold water given in the name of Jesus. So when we read in this catalog the names of these people, service, the many different avenues of service, opening a home, risking your life to help another brother. Here are exemplary believers. I thought of leaving these three words to summarize this little window into their first century church lives that we find here. But I think it fitting to just include a fourth as we close, which is really the undercurrent to all the others. What made the diversity among the people possible? What made the unity among the people possible? What made the service among the people possible? Love. Each esteeming other better than themselves. Love. Willing to hazard their own lives for the lives of the other. Love. That fulfilling of the law. That foundation for every other blessing. Every other activity and service. Every other relationship among us as God's people. These things we've mentioned, and this is just some borrowed, some of our own summary of the chapter. These are things the unsaved speak of. They hold in esteem. And yet, so often fall short of. Because they lack what really can only be imparted by the Spirit of God to fallen and utterly depraved sinners. Love. But what we find here, so evidently, so passionately on display between Paul and not only the Roman believers, but the other churches from whom he sends and brings greetings and includes here. Love that makes every other part of it possible. Let's bow our heads together. Our Heavenly Father, we ask, as we have read, looked at almost now the whole epistle to the Romans,
that you would take up even these thoughts from the greetings, the memories, the charges, the commendations, the names and relationships of the people, and provide food for thought and food for our own souls as we would live and move in this household of gathered believers. We thank Thee for every grace, every piece of this that has been on abundant display here. We simply ask that by Your Spirit it might abound more and more. We pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.